When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. Today we have Matt and AJ, and Joe's on the way. What's going on, boys? What's happening, bro? How you boys doing? Good. So it's the one-year anniversary of Burnergate. We're going to talk about that, go into some of the All-NBA team results. We have a few Sixers on there, and then talk about NBA finals that start tomorrow night, and then get into some off-season Lakers drama. One year ago, ex-76ers president of basketball operations and general manager Brian Colangelo resigned from the team. Basically, his wife created five burner accounts on Twitter, as you all know, and would share team-sensitive information about players' medical records or like Joel Okafor with his physical, predicted the Markel Fultz trade in the draft, all this other stuff. We're here a year later. I think we're on a lot better note, but just looking back on it. I think it's the most unusual story I've ever read or ever heard about. I just remember sitting on my porch when I finally got the notification from the ringer. uh, Yeah, it was the ringer. And then I just like was glued to my phone for like 45 minutes, just reading it and reading it and looking at Twitter. And it was just insane. The Internet was melting. I read it again this morning just for a nice little flashback memory. There's been so many crazy stories with the Sixers, the whole Andrew Bynum trading him never playing a game, the whole Markel Fultz thing, and then Burner Gate with the Sixers, it's never ending. Are we sure it was his wife? I feel like that's kind of saving face. <laughs> I, think it, I think it was Brian because if, like, if he admitted it was him, he would never get a job in basketball again, and that's all he's ever done his entire life. So, I mean, it makes more sense for the wife to fall on the sword. Now, the one tweet that I think makes it sound like it was his wife was the, the subtweet that he put under a picture of a of a Joel shirtless. And it's like, uh, it says, he really likes to be shirtless or something like that. I think that was the one that kind of, you know, made it seem like it was his wife right there. What's up, Joe? What's up, boss? Unexpectedly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was I was gonna wait until the segment was over, but I had to chime in there. Your voice, I'm like, where'd you come from? <laughs> I literally just got in. 
there was also the tweet at Brian Jacobs about like you you'd be great for my daughter or something like that too with like the winky face. That's another dead giveaway. Or Brian's just out there. So. What were the Sixers Twitter accounts that like blew up because of that or like got you know a lot of clout because of it? Legs. Ben Dietrich yeah. got a lot of clout too because he's the one that broke the story. Well, the burner people went to Dietrich, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I was like part of the Slack app back then. I bet it was popping. I kind of agree with it being Colangelo too. If you think about it, what does his wife has to have to lose by taking the blame for this? I mean, she's in fashion supposedly, and she's not going to lose her job in fashion over this whole scandal. I do agree that it was Colangelo. We're never going to know for sure. I just wish Hinky would like tweet something super petty today. I just need that. Like, so how is every, like, I can't even explain it. But, like, if he just tweeted, like, one thing that was mildly a shot at Colangelo, I would lose my mind. So was y'all's favorite burner account, Eric Jr.? Yep. Yeah. Probably. And also, the the burner accounts were following Colangelo's son's college friends and a bunch of other stuff. So it just all adds up. His wife wouldn't do that. So, But I, I think it was messed up of... Obviously, him talking about Delokafor's his physical that he filled with with them trying to trade him for what that two month period where Jaw didn't play a single game. So I think now looking at it a year later, Elton's a lot better GM. I think the Clenches kind of got forced into Philadelphia by Adam Silver in the NBA and uh, Brian's dad. So I think now with Elton, he's more connected to the players, and I just think overall we've done a good job. That whole situation just showed how much of a better GM Sam Hinkie is than Colangelo, if you ask me. I mean, what did Colangelo do besides Markel Fultz? And then Ben Simmons was just handed to him by Hinkie, and that was an obvious choice. He did He traded for Trevor Booker. He did such a bad job of capitalizing on assets. It was unbelievable. Like, he just didn't, like, progress the team. And also, if you really want to look back at it, a lot of the work he did in Toronto got undid by Ajiri, too. And now look where they are. Yeah, one of the burner accounts was trash-talking Ajiri also. And it was, like, really specific stuff that his wife obviously wouldn't tweet out. And didn't uh, Colangelo traded Jeremy Grant for, like, 30 games of Ersan Ilyasova, didn't he? That was, uh, yeah, that was right when he started. Yep. I can't get over uh, enough unknown sources. There's one tweet. It was in response to this account called Drunk Sixers Fan. And enough known sources says, if I had a medium-sized ladder, I would love to knock some sense in Joel's head right now. He is playing like a toddler having tantrums. Find a new slant. <laughs> yeah, I just think it all, it all just, in the end, it just boils down. Colangelo wasn't fit for the job, and he didn't do anything when he had the job to prove himself. So... Sixers have had three GMs in four years, which is a lot. I mean, a team that's trying to contend right now. But I think long-term, Elton's a better guy. We had the Colangelo's out of Philadelphia. We had last summer without a GM, and that was kind of tough on Brett Brown because we were just shooting for big fish, big free agents, and didn't really land any and ended up without a bench. So you could point to the whole Colangelo thing is kind of screwing us for this year with our bench. But in the same breath, now we're, we're in a lot better shape. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the dysfunctionality has shipped off. It's like well in the past now. It's going to be interesting to see what Elton can do with an entire offseason in his control. You know, he really had what maybe, I mean, he had the whole season really, but now he has 
time to actually think and organize a team. I like his aggressiveness, and I like his willingness to gamble. One last tweet from that night. I still think one of the greatest moments I've ever had on the internet was when Embiid had that sequence of, like, three tweets when he found out. I put it on Twitter today, and the first one was the picture of him waiting to get drafted with a plain face, and then he said, bruh. And then his second tweet was, Joel told me that at Sam Hinkie, all caps, is better and smarter than you, and then he tagged the burner account. And, and then <laughs> and then he waited another few minutes, and then he said, I'm upset, and tagged Drake. That's on the Sixers Twitter Mount Rushmore. It has to be. That was when Twitter was engulfed in flames after after he tweeted those out. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Elton Brand, I mean, yeah, he's, like Matt said, like his, his aggressiveness. I mean, right when he jumped in, he went and grabbed Jimmy Butler, and then around the trade deadline, he got Mike Scott, Boban, and Tobias Harris. So he can do that much as a rookie GM. I can't imagine what he can do with a full offseason. And I think we're pretty attractive, too. And I think as a GM for upcoming free agent, Elton Brand running an organization is a lot more attractive than Brian Colangelo. Yeah, I feel like if Joel's injury history, if it stays history, players will see that and be like, oh, I want to come play with this team. And it'll, be, it'll become much more of a free agent destination, especially with him and Ben Simmons. You know, hopefully we keep Jimmy. And the players are going to see that. They're going to be like, wow, I, I want to be a part of this. I just think it's like it's a really good situation to be in out in the East. You know, especially if Kawhi moves West, you look at that, you're like, wow, I can join the Philadelphia 76ers and we can, you know, we can be kings of the Eastern Conference. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I think, speaking of Jimmy, did you guys see his last YouTube video? He had a YouTube video and he was wearing Sixers pants. It means absolutely nothing for where he's going to go, but I just, it was a recent video and it was after the season ended and he's wearing Sixers stuff, which no one knows what he's going to do. He's one of the most unpredictable guys. I could easily see Jimmy leaving for non-basketball reasons. Last I saw of Jimmy, he was coaching Mark Wahlberg's daughter on basketball, so maybe that means he's going to the Celtics. I'm, I'm kidding. It only, it'll only it only work if Mark Wahlberg's daughter goes to her next rec game and like points at the end of the bench and she's like, you're with me, we're going, let's go. You need me. Beating the fifth stringers in, or yeah, the fourth stringers in fifth grade. Like I, I saw it on Twitter late last night, just Mark Wahlberg with Jimmy Butler and his daughter in the background. It was just, it was just like, just so random. I don't know. That bromance. That's probably the most blows random. my mind. Yeah, most random like group of friends in Hollywood, I think. So do you guys want to move on to some All NBA talk? The awards, the uh, a lot of the awards were announced last week. Embiid was announced second team All NBA as well as second team All Defense. Do you guys think Embiid was snubbed with the first team, or do you guys understand it from him missing more games than Jokic? I get it because of him missing more games than Jokic. However, the only thing that bothers me about that is that Steph Curry made first team All-NBA while playing 69 games, and I'm aware that 69 games is more than 64, but I think the precedent still stands. If you're going to knock off one player for missing a you know, decently sized margin amount of time, then you have to penalize the other guy. That's the kind of the way I see it. But, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here losing sleep because Joel didn't get it. Even though I I will argue to the death of me that Embiid is a better player than Nicole Jokic. 
I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, which I kind of agree with, Kawhi Leonard made second-team All-NBA over LeBron, who was third-team All-NBA. And LeBron missed games because he's actually injured with that groin injury. And Kawhi missed games because of load management. So if you're talking in that same breath, why was Kawhi on second and LeBron on third if LeBron's missing time was just due to injury? LeBron still averaged 27-8-8. So same, same sort of argument. Yeah, I'm with Matt. I mean, it like I think you can make a case for either of them to be first team, and whichever one got second team, I don't think it's that much of a difference. I mean, they both had outstanding years, but like Matt said, I mean, I'm not losing sleep over it because I know Joel Embiid's better. Yeah, I think next year, if he plays maybe 70 games-ish, and he puts up the same numbers that he did this year, he's going to automatically be first team. No disrespect to Jokic. I, he's definitely top five big in the league, but Joel is is so much better than him at basketball. When Joe was talking about uh, Joel possibly playing 70 next year, I just don't see that because I think it's going to be kind of like the Kawhi plan where he plays 59, 60 games, and then they just load him up for the playoffs because that's all that matters. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that point. It's like even if Joel is 100% healthy and he has, like, no nagging injuries, I just feel like the Sixers staff is just going to be too cautious with him. I mean, his history shows that, I like, guess, you just you can't give it the benefit of the doubt with Embiid and his health. So, like, even if he has no injuries whatsoever, they're still going to be extra cautious with him until April. Nah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I agree. It was crazy at the beginning of the year, and Beauty's averaging something like 38 minutes per game and was not resting on back-to-back, so he's playing through all back-to-backs and getting a heavy load at the beginning of the season. And by the end of the year, his his knees were trashed, and he was just super fatigued. So I, I think there's an argument to be made that he could be on either a minutes restriction or he could be his load could be managed for the rest of his career. And I would not be super opposed to that because the most important thing is the playoffs. I think if Embiid, if he's ever going into a season, like, determined to win an MVP or Defensive Player of the Year award, then I think at that point he might push himself to play, like, 75, 78 games. But as long as that is not his main motivation going into any particular season, I just think he's going to, you know, he's going to have that load management going pretty much for the majority of his career, which I'm fine with. I wouldn't be opposed to the load management. I mean, if it costs him, you know, making first-team All-NBA, I mean, I don't think any of us will lose sleep over it. As long as he's as long as long he's cruising through the regular season and then once playoff time comes around, he's able to just, just unleash on everybody, then, I mean, that's all you could ask for. Yeah, just if you look at it, uh, the best ability is availability. So he's too valuable of a player. Him being 7'2", the way he moves on the floor, there's no way he can be a 35-minute-per-game player for 75, 80 games every year. So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get over 65 games for his whole career. And I think Embiid, Embiid knows this, and he finally started working on his diet for the second half of this year. So if he has a whole entire offseason that he can dedicate to his body and devote to just fixing himself up, getting his diet down, his training, all that kind of stuff. And I think he'll be set up, made out for a lot better next year. And 
one this one thing that LeBron is such a good ambassador for for the NBA is he spends millions of dollars every year just to take care of himself. So Embiid definitely, even more so than LeBron, just because of how much weight Embiid carries and just the way he plays, he definitely needs to start making that a, his main priority. It's crazy that it took LeBron 16 years of his career to get a major injury. Yeah, I know. And then like he he misses three weeks of basketball for the first time in his entire life. And now people are saying, like, oh, is he injury prone? Can he stay healthy? You know, it's one injury really skews the perception a little bit. Also, just for the sake of, like, talking of LeBron, he's still the best player in the NBA. There's, the recency bias is outrageous recently. He averaged 27-8-8 this year. He missed games with an actual injury for the first time, and now people are like, oh, is KD the best? Is Giannis the best? Is Kawhi the best? With, like, respect to all those three, but until – LeBron like shows that he's not dominant every single time he steps on the floor with a team that's actually able to win games, then he's still the best player in the league. I know these guys all played well this year, but it's it's LeBron's throne still. I got two points about this. First, LeBron James averaged 27-8-8, eight eight, which was better than both Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant, and we're calling it a down year. Uh, the lineup of LeBron James, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, and Brendan Ingram, they played 23 games this year, and they went 15-8. and eight. And lastly, this is actually a third point, I can't believe I'm about, I'm about to quote Max Kellerman, but he <laughs> says this perfectly. He says, LeBron, we, we say LeBron James isn't the best player in the world right now because he's not in the playoffs to remind us of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I think by the time uh, the opening of next season starts, it's gonna. The narrative is gonna shift quickly to oh, well, what do we expect? This guy's the best player in the league. If twenty-seven, eight, and eight is your down year, then you have to be the best player in the league. Yeah, if, if twenty-seven, eight, and eight is a down year, then let the Philadelphia 76ers be a team of washups. Speaking more of all NBA stuff, obviously there is some talk of just incredible people on Twitter saying how Ben Simmons was snubbed of his all defense, and I kind of read an article about this. But he wasn't on the all-defensive team. He got two. He got two uh, second-team votes. He was obviously not deserving of it this year. But he did show in the playoffs this year that he has the potential, if he keeps going at this rate, that he will be featured on these all-defensive teams. Like, once he gets closer to his prime and as he progresses, even next year he could be. Just him playing Kawhi as he did in this whole series during the playoffs and then how he guarded D'Angelo Russell just shows, like, he's so versatile. He guarded – he shut down a – ball-dominant guard in the first round, and then he didn't shut down Kawhi, but he's the most capable guy on Kawhi during the playoffs this year. Crazy stat I came across. Um, Shout-out to whoever tweeted it on Twitter. I forgot who you are, but um, it said that Ben was the only player in the NBA to guard all five positions at least 10% of the time and hold that opposing player to under their normal production. I mean, he's going to be all defense in the future. He, I don't know if there, there are a few guys in the league who can truly guard one through fives. He has the length, he has the height, and the quickness, and the strength. He's going to keep building his strength. And But I think the most frustrating thing about him as a defender is that it seems like he's not fully engaged all the time. When he's fully engaged, he, I mean, he's one of the best defenders in the league, and the playoffs prove that. Is he the best from the Sixers? Uh, I think he is. Overall, yeah. I still think it's hard, like, 
I don't think Ben could anchor a defense, though. Like, Joel absolutely can. And there's nobody that's near Joel's size that isn't an automatic bucket when you draw him out to the perimeter like that. Like, we've seen him switch out onto, like, Kyrie and John Wall and all these, like, jitterbug point guards that can just blow by you at any time. And he defends them pretty well for being, like, a defensive lineman, like, weight-wise. He is a better perimeter defender than... Rudy Gobert, who's first-team all-defense, and Miles Turner, who's another uh, all-defense candidate. So that is true. And, yeah, as a center, you kind of have to anchor the defense. That's just, like, your main job. So, I mean, if your future is Embiid and Simmons on the defensive side of the ball, you're going to be set. Speaking of Rudy Gobert, I just want to say good luck to Utah Jazz, to the Utah Jazz and their fans because they're going to have to sign Gobert to a max contract. And then soon enough, they're going to have to sign Donovan Mitchell to a max contract. So my condolences go out to the Utah Jazz fans for their eternal run in purgatory. RIP that small market salary cap flexibility. (laughs) I mean, Gobert was deserving of first-team all-defense. I mean, he's still an an insane interior defender and rim protector. So it's it's going to be between him and Embiid for first-team all-defense for the foreseeable future. I saw the numbers for Gobert's potential Supermax. His last year, he'll make over $51 million in that one season. That's insane. Can, a center, a defensive center. Despite how Gobert is a monster on the defensive side, let me ask you this question. Is there any possible scenario where Rudy Gobert can even be the third best player on a championship level team? Uh, maybe possibly actually sorry i was completely wrong this is from michael loman his uh his third year on the supermax he gets 52 million the fourth year he gets 56.3 million and the last year 60.8 million dollars when he's age 33 60 million dollars what is that contract that's just the new supermax because uh supermax are based off like percentage of the salary cap you has anyone oh, sorry. has anyone signed that yet? Like the like the new Supermax like within or like this off season or like this year I should say. Um. Well, that's assuming that's if th- all this will change with the new CBA agreement. But if things go as they are right now, those will be the numbers. But no one's no one's done that yet. We could have a whole podcast talking about players who are currently under Supermax contracts or players who are about to be under Supermax contracts and just have a lengthy roundtable discussion about why they're all disasters or going to be disasters. That actually was like a perfect uh, leading point because the next bullet on our list was how the all-NBA teams impacted uh, certain players' Supermaxes and team salary cap. So I think the two biggest ones were Clay Thompson missing the all-NBA team, so he's ineligible for that Supermax, and then Kemba Walker made third team all NBA. So he's eligible for that Supermax, which is $221 million <clears throat> for five years. Didn't uh, uh, Carl Anthony Towns missed out on $32 million too? Yep. With, uh, yeah, incentives. It's kind of like Damian Lillard did a few years ago. Do you guys think that Clay was uh, snubbed a little bit? Or do you think, you know, Kemba should have, Kemba was deserving of making it? I mean, that's what happens when you're on a super team like that. I mean, like, Steph and KD have 
gotten less. I mean, if you look at it from an accolades like point of view, Steph's the second best player in the NBA, but he's just with them being a super team. That's just kind of what you have to take into account. So, and what yeah. Kemba did for that team, his second best player was Jeremy Lamb. Was there another team of that stature that like he carried that well this entire year? I mean, obviously Kawhi carried the Raptors a lot, but his second best player was Lowry or Siakam. Kemba's second best player was Jeremy Lamb, who didn't even start. But I, w- I wonder if this is now gonna um, give Kemba incentive to re-sign in Charlotte because he's come out several times and talked about his love for the city and his uh, his devotion to staying in one place. I don't know if it's actually gonna happen, but it it could alter free agency plans for certain teams, such as uh, you know that purple and gold one. I mean, being around Charlotte. If he left, no one would blame him. It's Michael Jordan and their whole entire front office is put together year after year, awful people around Kemba. And Kemba's last contract, I believe, was – I think it was four years, $48 million around that ballpark. And they they still – if he resigns next year, they'll be already be over the luxury tax. They have to pay Bismarck Biombo $18 million next year. They just, that team is so poorly constructed. So I don't blame him if he leaves. But if he does, I mean, if I were him, I would leave. I, I, I would have been out of there yesterday. Yeah, dude. Um, remember when Clay shot, what, 5 of 36 from three to start the year? And he still managed to shoot over 40% from three for the year? He's insane. <laughs> He's an animal. <laughs> I think his shot is just as good as Steph's, but Steph has more ways to get it off. Third That's actually a really good point. Yeah, third time is when I think Clay is a better shooter than Steph. Easy. I would love to see them in practice, just to go to their shoot arounds and just see them every day. It, like those two and KD on the same court every single day would be incredible. I don't think I've ever seen somebody like go from like pocket to like release as fast as Clay. Like you can pass him the ball like anywhere, and he has it like. Right in his sweet spot every single time, ready to go. And this, it looks the exact same every single time. Also, just to finish out this all-NBA stuff, our boy Landry Shamit made second team all-rookie. So just shout-out to Landry Shamit. Shout-out to Landry. Uh, I could, we could still use him right now, man. Yeah, I miss Landry. Tyler Harrow, uh, Shamit 2.0. Yes, please. I don't think he gets there, but I'll take it. Yeah, there's no chance he's there. All right, so NBA Finals start tomorrow night. Raptors have home court advantage. Do you guys think there's any chance the Raptors can pull off the upset? Um, a lot of things are going to have to happen. Um, I mean, there's obviously a chance. I mean, ESPN and all of them are giving them a chance. Like it's they they think it's pretty much a toss up. But you're going to have to have Kawhi continuing to be superhuman on offense and continuing to produce. I mean, they're going to have to keep up the defensive intensity. Um, They held Milwaukee to 31% shooting from deep, so that perimeter defense is going to have to stay on point. Um, The bench is going to have to continue to ride this high that they're on right now. I mean, Van Fleet is shooting 82% from three over his last three games. Um, Plus, they, they can't lose home court. Like, these first two games are going to be huge for their momentum throughout the whole series. And just on the court, too, they can't let Golden State 
determine the pace that, that by any means. Because if when, when Golden State has the pace in their favor, that's when it's over. But um, there, there's a there's a chance that they could take it to six or seven. Yeah, I agree with Joe. I think they have a chance. I think these are going to be some really good competitive games. But if you think about what needs to happen for Toronto to be able to pull out the series, it's like a laundry list of things that have to fall their way. And I think the list of things that needs to go right is a lot shorter for Golden State than it is uh, Toronto. Because, I mean, Golden State's just got to make sure, or at least do their best, to make Kawhi look like a normal human being. And then after that, it's going to be tough for Toronto to, I think, get a lot of points out of Lowry, Siakam, and Gasol. I mean, and especially to keep up with the greatest shooting team of all time. So the Raptors just have a lot more of an uphill climb than I think we want to admit. I think as far as defending Kawhi goes, I think the Sixers really kind of Set the, set the standard of how you have to go about guarding him. I mean, Milwaukee did the exact opposite. They were doubling and triple-teaming him whenever whenever he got the ball, and that opened up so many opportunities for everyone else on the floor. What you have to do is just put your most able-bodied defender on Kawhi and just see if he can hang with them for at least the majority of the game and then just lock down everybody else. So to interrupt this really fast, Shams just had a bomb. Basically... Anthony Davis and Pelicans executive VP David Griffin met this morning. Davis's stance on wanting a trade has not changed, according to leaked sources. So AD still wants out of New Orleans, supposedly, at this point. This could be – I mean, I think David Griffin's going to try his hardest just to wait it out and just to have him see how him and Zion play, but I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, I don't – I mean, at this point, he's too in deep. He can't he – can't redact that trade request yeah it would it would make him look so soft to just swallow that statement and just be like yeah sorry i was wrong take me back yeah he's there's no way he stays it'd be fun it'd be so much fun to watch them play but yeah like you said he's in too deep but yeah sorry going back to some finals talk during the regular season toronto had the second best defense in the nba and golden state had the third overall and during the playoffs golden state and toronto are tied for this best defense so, I mean, Toronto's going to have to out-defend the Warriors and score more points, and I don't really see them scoring more points. I mean, I saw a stat out of 17 of Van Vliet's threes in those last four games, or three games, uh, over 10 of them were Van Vliet was within six feet of a defender. So he's completely wide open on those threes, and I don't think Siakam's going to be much of a factor, and he hasn't really been this playoff since he got hurt. Kyle Lowry... I don't know if he can put together four solid games if they win win those games. So it's it's going to be really hard for the Raptors to keep this up. And Kawhi, we've seen Kawhi's he's had such a big load this entire playoff. I don't know if he can keep doing it. So I think I think Warriors in five or six. Um, there's no way it goes more than six games. The key to beating Golden State is making them uncomfortable. And I don't know if if Toronto can really make them truly uncomfortable. I think that becomes like immensely harder if Kevin Durant misses one game or like at the most one game I should say I think there's gonna be two completely different series before Katie gets back and then after just the, the style of play and let's say Katie and Boogie both don't even play a single game during the finals the Warriors are still favored by a lot and 
if Katie comes back, which we all assume he's going to, it's not even going to be close. You know, like Katie's one of those guys that he doesn't have to – him missing time isn't that big of a deal. He can just plug him back in. I know the, st- the like style that they play is completely different, but it's just going to add another score to run the score up against the Raptors. And then it just adds – takes one guy away from – I mean, before Katie gets back, Kawhi's probably going to be guarding Draymond or Clay, and then you're going to have to throw that other guy because Kawhi's going to guard KD when he gets back. So it's probably going to be Danny Green on – uh, Clay Thompson, and then you're going to throw like Siakam on Draymond. So we'll see. I just, I, I don't really, I don't see it happening. And if Boogie comes back, I think he comes off the bench and plays those minutes with when Clay's in there with the other role players. And I don't think his role is going to be big. But, and then Iggy, Iggy's also most likely, he's probable for game one as well. And that just adds Golden State another defender. I do think the one guy that could really swing it for the Raptors, though, is Serge Ibaka. I think if they can get some big minutes out of Surge on both sides of the ball, and he like really beats up Looney and possibly the uh, Marcus coming back, I think that could be a really big momentum shift for them. He's had a pretty rough postseason, except for that Game Seven against Philly. But I mean, he's been solid on the boards and on defense. So and he's a really he shot over 50% from mid range this year. So I mean, we'll see. I just one thing that Toronto's got to do is they just how do you how do you take away Clay and Steph's threes? That just you you can't do that. So I guess you're just gonna shut down everybody else. And I I just don't really I don't see a scenario where Toronto can win four to seven games. You can let one guy go off, but once you let two guys go off, that's when you're in trouble. And it, it's 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 gonna be so tough to try to keep up with their movement. And you can't even give them a slither space or, or they're going to knock it, knock down a three. So it's it's going to be so tough for them to try to lock down both of them. And speaking of that, Steph's had, I mean, he's had an incredible playoff run this year. This year, during the playoffs, he's averaging 27 points, six rebounds, 5.6 assists. And he's shooting 45% from the field and 39% from three. But the defensive assignments are probably going to be Lowry on Steph. Most likely Danny Green on Clay. Read a lot that Kawhi is most likely going to be on Draymond, and just because like as of right now their offense is running a lot through Draymond, just with those high pick and rolls, and with just Draymond having the ball in his hands to set everybody else up. And then Siakam's going to be on man, I guess he'll be on Iggy, and then they'll throw Marcus Saul on Kevon Looney or Bogut or whoever's playing in there for him. I don't think Lowry's going to be able to shut down Clay and or shut down Steph. And do you think the Raptors could use Pat McCaw as like their like sleeper agent slash practiced with all these guys like secret weapon? Oh, like nah. a little double agent. Yeah. Eh. I think the thing about the Warriors is you can know exactly what they're going to do. You can know their game plan, and you just can't stop it. They're that dominant. They're that good. Yeah, you could have you could have their whole playbook, and you still can't stop them. They barely have I mean, a playbook. <laughs> yeah, Steve Kerr's system is Steve Kerr's gonna go down as one of the best coaches ever. I mean, I know he he had incredible teams, but just that that motion offense they run, you literally cannot do anything. Because if you switch, then they're just gonna get a whole bunch of layups inside, and then or if you switch off ball, they're just gonna get a whole bunch of layups inside, and then. If you don't switch off ball, they're just going to kill you off the screens. So it's you just got to pick your poison. 
Do you guys think Kawhi is going to be the best player in this series? No. No. When KD gets back, he'll be the best player in the series. Uh, I think this is finally the series when people shut up about like Steph not being MVP or having a good finals. I think Steph Curry absolutely loses his mind in this series. Oh, Steph's averaging. Um, I'm going to say Steph averages 32 a game and gets his first finals MVP. Yeah, this is the year that he finally gets it. This This is going to be the year. I agree. I would put that number closer to 35, but maybe that's just me. On about 43% from three? I know the Raptors are like one of the better defending teams, but Steph's playing out of his mind right now. And it's not even he's playing out of his mind. This is just how good Steph is. He's just been on a team with so much talent that he hasn't been able to fully, like, not come out of his shell, but hasn't been fully been able to go, like, 100%, show, like, 100% of his abilities just because he's having to share touches with KD, Draymond, Boogie for the time he's played, and with Clay. So, yeah, Steph's finally going to get it, and then KD's going to walk. So, um, dependent, I mean, so if Toronto somehow pulls off this series, do you think Kawhi would still bolt to L.A.? Yeah, because it uh, would yeah. just be him... It would just be him doing what he was brought to Toronto to do. He was brought in to win a championship, and that if that would happen, he would have no reason to stay. Honestly. Yeah. If if he is who we think he is, he's gonna go to LA no matter what. I think he's bolting for LA. And just the cap flexibility that the Clippers have and the draft picks, there's really no reason no reason why. I read an article for Clutch Points about that a few weeks ago. It doesn't matter how far they go, how much they win. And one of the Toronto beat writers was on the Levitard show today, and he said that people in Toronto, like that, obviously that know basketball, if the Raptors win and Kawhi still leaves, they, no one's gonna be mad at him. Like they've, he's already done enough for this city. Bringing them to a finals is all they brought him here to do, and obviously they want him to resign. But as of right now, he's done above and beyond what they thought that they were gonna do this year. It's part of the reason why I wasn't too mad when Toronto you know, beat us because I know that this is the best chance that they're probably ever going to have at a title. And uh, you can't be too mad. You can't be too mad at that because you know that the Sixers are going to be contending for, for years on end. And you don't know where Toronto's going to head after this, after this season, depending on what Kawhi does. Yeah. After this year, the Raptors are, they're going to be paying Serge Ibaka upwards of, 21 million dollars next year. Marcus Hall's getting 23. Kyle Lowry's getting, I believe, 30, around 30 next year. And so they're just they're not gonna have much cap flexibility. Then they're gonna have to pay Siakam next summer. So if Kawhi stays, they're gonna be strapped tight on the, with salary. So which one of you guys was the one that said if what if KD leaves the Warriors and then Kawhi just signs with the Golden State? I think it might have been me because I think uh, Ike Reese on WIP said that. Like, if KD would leave and he would just go there, which would be, like, everyone's worst nightmare. Oh, yeah, because Joe responded with that, and he's like, yeah, that's when the world's supposed to end. The world would end after that. I mean, I mean, people joked when KD joined the Warriors that they were done watching the NBA. People would actually be done watching the NBA if Kawhi just went to Golden State. Speaking of that, do you guys think that – I think this is kind of unlikely. Well, actually, no, it's not unlikely that KD and Kawhi both go – to the Clippers, how do you think them playing along alongside, alongside each other works or would potentially work? I just have a tough time, like, seeing Kawhi, like, 
going to a team for like personal reasons or like to play with somebody. I feel like he's going to go where he wants to go and he doesn't care if the team is full of like second rounders or like all-stars. It would be fun to watch, but it would be just such an odd fit. Something a little bit more Sixers related. So today uh, there's a Woj bomb. He tweeted that the Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, said that every single guy on the roster is potentially available in trades. Most likely, I don't. there's no way James Harden gets traded. I've seen some stuff around ESPN today, but like James Harden for LeBron James, I don't see that ever happening. Any James Harden trade, but players you guys would like to have and realistic trades for somebody on the Rockets that the Sixers could use uh, next season? P.J. Tucker, and I don't know how to do it, but I want P.J. Tucker. Yeah, P.J. Tucker, or if J.J. decides to duck this offseason, maybe, maybe Eric Gordon, if you could pull that off. But that's pretty much it. So this is what I was thinking earlier today. So Chris Paul and J.J. are basically best friends. And would you do a sign-in trade for, like, throwing a pick, sign-in trade, J.J. for Eric Gordon? I know that doesn't really help much, but if it was a decent draft pick and then maybe throw in somebody else, like a young prospect, maybe that could get it done? Um, yeah, honestly, I would definitely think about it. I, I don't think Eric Gordon could, like, I think he would struggle in, like, the motion part of the offense at first. But I think once Brett adjusted everything, I think he could be a really nice piece. I'm with that. I'm with that, too. One thing about Eric Gordon is he has a higher three-point percentage off the dribble than he does from spot up. So maybe he could kind of take over a sort of a hybrid J.J. role. He, they don't have the same game. He doesn't run as much D.H.O. But, I mean, and Eric Gordon's a lot more capable defender than J.J. is. Or even P.J. Tucker, too. Man, what if we get a team with P.J. Tucker and Mike Scott? And then draft Grant Williams. Man. Too many grown men. The grit on that team. And if TJ resigns for like the vet men, like four years, $8 million, there, there would be a single loose ball that Philly wouldn't get. Or a long rebound. They'd get them all. Would you guys take Kenneth Fareed? Because uh, um, I was thinking about that. He's kind of like a better version of Trevor Booker. I know that's not much of a compliment, and he's definitely better, but... I feel like it's so, hard for him to be like a five man because he's six eight. Yeah, I looked it up earlier today. He's actually an unrestricted free agent, but yeah, he'd be good. he's definitely a good regular season guy, but he's unplayable in the playoffs. I mean, you saw in both series against even against the Jazz, they couldn't really play Fareed just because he's getting torched on defense. But he'd be he'd be fun during the regular season. He he'd be like very valuable off the bench, just getting boards and on both sides. So anybody want to lead into this whole the Lakers article from yesterday? No, nah, I mean, it's it's such a tough look for everybody involved. There are no winners in that story. Magic looks like a, a nightmare of a boss. Palenka just looks like a, a weirdo and just untrustworthy completely. Rich Paul looks like he's, he's a disruption. Um, the, the story about him t- complaining about Luke Walton right to Adam Silver's face is, is amazing. And then Jeannie Bush just looks like an incompetent owner who who is letting um, uh, Linda Rambis, you know, influence the decisions she makes with the team. It, it's it's 
it's so such a terrible look on all angles. This story and just this whole Lakers situation for the last two years just is a prime example of how family businesses do not work in the NBA or in any pro sports. Like Jeannie Buss just trusting Rob Palinka, who's not qualified to be a front office guy, and then knowingly like hiring Magic, knowing that he wouldn't be there full time because he has all of his business ventures. It just from the start, it just was a head scratcher. I mean. Rob Palenka was an agent, never had any front office experience. Same thing with Magic Johnson. The most experience he had related to this was he was on ESPN as an analyst, but he did nothing related to a front office job. And I don't think when he took the job, I don't think he knew what a demanding role being president of basketball operations were, especially for the biggest franchise in the entire NBA and the Los Angeles Lakers. So, like, it just wasn't the best look for Magic. And he used intimidation just to get his point across to people. And this, it just was a huge mess. And then Rob Plinkett talking behind his back. It was a nightmare from the beginning. And it never really worked out. I think the nail in the coffin in that story was how, like, the two former uh, team employees, like, had to get prescribed, like, medication because of their, like, anxiety and their panic attacks caused from, like, immense stress on the job. Like, I think that's... Like, that's where it really, like, drew the line from being, like, sort of funny to, like, wow, like, they're actually, like, changing people's lives for no reason. It was just really, that was just backwards. That wasn't right. Nah, I was just going to say that if if everything in that story is actually true, I don't know why a free agent would willingly decide to join that organization. Actually, uh, Brian Winhurst said today that he doesn't think that any of this will affect free agents going to L.A., and I'm not really sure if I 100% believe in that because this team is such a mess right now, and I don't see how it's going to change anytime soon. And Rob Plinka has terrible relationships with front offices across the entire league. I mean, being, being an agent, when you're a good agent, you're a backstabber, and it's just how the business works. So... That's why he has a lot of bad relationships, just because him just being an agent. The most surprising thing to me was, I think from the beginning, Magic Johnson shouldn't have been the president. He should have been a consultant like Jerry West. He could have done all of his business stuff, could have dropped him when he wanted to. That's exactly the job Magic wanted, was a consultant. That's not what he asked for. He wanted to be the president, I think, just because of the title. But what he should have done was be a consultant and just hop in whenever he wanted to. And Mitch Kupchak ran out of there, and then it just was a dumpster fire since... And they have all this young talent that they could have traded, and they botched that entire Anthony Davis trade last year. A lot of people say that could have been Rich Paul and uh, Clutch's fault. But it, I don't know. I, I don't see any superstars coming to L.A. this summer. And it sucks just because LeBron had – he was coming off of his prime. He may still be in his prime because he's LeBron, but they're wasting his time. And if I'm LeBron, I don't know if I request a trade. I don't know what I'd do. But I would not be happy at all. And I think that's why they were pushing this Anthony Davis trade. And maybe they can still get it done because the best trade the Pelicans were going to get for Anthony Davis was last All-Star break. And now the Lakers have some sort of leverage now that they didn't accept that trade. I don't think they'll have that much of an issue signing, like, regular free agents. Like, I don't think they're going to have issues signing, like, $7 million a year backup, like, small forwards. But I do think when it comes to, like 
the bigger notable guys that are going to sign there for like four or five years. That's when I think you're going to see people really start to question whether or not that's a franchise they want to be a part of. From the beginning, I knew it was back in uh, before the 2017-18 season. They signed KCP to a one-year $18 million deal, and that's when I kind of knew LeBron was definitely going there because KCP is a clutch sports guy. So I guess they kind of were like, hey, uh, Rich Paul, we're going to win over your uh, your favor. Just to, We're going to sign KCP to a, a way too generous deal and then resign him again this year for $15 million, and then LeBron comes over. But – yeah, like you said, they're going to be able to get these mid-level free agents that just want to go to L.A., but I don't think they're going to get anybody that's going to push the Lakers into contention. They'll probably be a playoff team next year if they're all healthy, and they were going to be a playoff team this year if LeBron was healthy, but in the future, I just I think it's a mess. I'm just worried about that the young core that they have with Kuzma, Ingram, and Ball. That whole AD ordeal really, I think, really didn't help the trust that they have with the organization. I mean, I wouldn't have any trust in them. But it, it's it's going to be it's going to be a weird dynamic next year if that whole core is back together. And they're going to have to pay Brandon Ingram next summer. So, I would I would trade him now. He's probably I think he has the most potential out of Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, and BI. I think Ingram does have the highest ceiling, but they're gonna have to pay him next summer, and I don't know if I don't know how much you pay Ingram and or, or who's gonna pay him. So I think now is a perfect time to do so. And also Rob Plinka, there is this report that came out the other day. It was Rob Plinka described at some conference that back when he was Kobe's agent, he had Heath Ledger, he had he had Heath Ledger meet Kobe at a dinner to describe the mindset that he went into to play uh, Joker in Batman, and. What was funny is the time that he said this dinner or this meeting was between Kobe and Heath Ledger was six months after Heath Ledger died. And you saw the the video of it, right? I, I think I oh, saw yeah. it, guys. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 lied right to the Rock's face. Yeah, it's Dwayne Johnson, that's where he was. Yep. There was just no reason reason to bring the Joker into this. None. <laughs> Appreciate you guys listening to the latest episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. Follow us at Sixer Sense on Twitter and visit us at thesixersense.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.